You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. But we're, we're in the middle of our Exodus series. Uh, last week, if you were here, we did a lot of history. Uh, I had to kind of like sum up basically the Jewish people in about 20 minutes, uh, and it was a lot of work, but uh, it was good. Did you guys have a good Sunday last Sunday? And so, sorry, I'm like coughing, but it's good coffee. Um, but I, I want to share this morning because I believe that everything points to Christ in Exodus. And Exodus is this really powerful book that if you really get a hold of it, it's going to make Christmas better. It's going to make Easter better. Uh, it's going to grow you and grow your faith. There's something powerful about it. It's not a different God. It's the same God in the whole Bible. And so the more we understand what's going on, I feel like the more it just opens it. And when I shared last week, people came in. They were like, oh, I had no idea this meant this. I had no idea this is where, you know, that this came from or where this is going. And let me tell you, the deeper we get into Exodus, the more things you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, the Lord is awesome. Like, the Lord is thoughtful. The Lord is not, like, just playing it by ear. And that should give you hope and peace in your life this week, that the Lord is not, like, playing your life uh, on, the, on, like, the edge of his seat. Like, he's not winging it for you. Like, oh, my gosh, what are they going to think of next? Like, curveball, curveball, curveball. Like, God is not your spin team. God is from the beginning. He understands. He knows you. He sees you, and he's with you. So I want to pray this morning, and we're just going to dive in. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. God, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you that this church is generous. God, I thank you that this church is committed. God, I thank you that this church, God, you are moving in lives and transforming people. God, we just lift up every person, every small group. And God, I pray that this morning as we go through your word, you would just soften hearts and you would transform lives in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I feel like God uh, really spoke this message to me. And it lined up so perfectly as we were uh, going into the Exodus series, and so I was excited to share it with you. But this is something that God actually spoke to me as I was flying to Bangkok, Thailand. And so as we were on the plane going to Bangkok to meet with Dana and Bridget and our sister church over there, I felt like God really spoke this word to me, and that my immediate thought was, God, how am I going to explain this to people in Bangkok? Because he gave me this phrase, desert season. And I thought to myself, I don't know if you've been to Bangkok, but let me just explain it. No desert, mostly jungle, bugs, and water. And then Bangkok is mostly city, and then uh, more city. And then when you get to the edge of that city, more city. Uh, because there's 20 million people. And I'm like, God, how am I going to describe this desert season? Uh, and so when I was speaking and teaching at this leadership gathering that was there, there was a group of Persian people, uh, and they were translating into Farsi. And I knew the Persians, they, they would get the desert season, right? My Persian brother back here, you know what I'm talking about, right? That would get desert season. But they were translating. So if I said something, I would have to say it and then wait. And then they would go, ah, and then I'd be like, yes, affirmation, and we could continue. So it's a little segmented. But as I was going, I realized, like, most people around the world can picture a desert. You could grow up in Antarctica and still probably picture a desert. Like if you've ever had television or have seen like a grain of sand, it's just like it's this a million times, right? Uh, we can picture a desert, right? Like if we were to have like a whiteboard here and draw a desert and define a desert, we could pick out a couple things. So let, let's, just, let's just in our mind, let's paint the picture of a desert. You're like, look outside. Um, no, but let's paint. What, what are some things that define desert? Shout it out. Let's do it. What's something that defines a desert? Some, heat. 
I heard dry. Okay, good. What else? No water. Destitute. All right. Cool. Sick. Someone's like, I was going to shout something. Now I feel self-conscious. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah, I think it's dry. It's hot. It's desolate. It's difficult. Right? Like the desert is difficult. Like no one, uh, you know, like we all live here now because of an, an invention called air conditioning. Before air conditioning, guess how many people lived here? Like three. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, and so, you know, we've just kind of kept on pace the ratio of concrete and air conditioning and just kind of constantly upping the game. But that's the thing about a desert is even when I'm sharing in Bangkok, Thailand, and I'm looking at, at some of our people. we got people from all over the world in that church, some people from the Philippines that I'm talking to, our incredible Filipino people, and just sharing about the desert. It's like they might not have seen the desert. You might not have seen a desert. Well, hopefully we have because you live here. But uh, the, everyone understands what a desert is. Everyone understands that a desert is dry, desolate, and difficult, right? Everyone understands that it is lacking water. And when I was flying here with my, my old boss and uh, my wife and I, we were beginning to really explore being here and planning a church here and being here. My, my boss looks at me, and he just, all he says is, why? Right? Because we're coming from Seattle, and he's flying over, and he see, and it was uh, August, and so everything's either brown or on fire, and he's, <laughs> and he's looking, and he just looks at me, he's like, why? Like, why here? And, and for us, it's because God called us here, and because I love the desert, and I love it here. Like, I'm very, like, I'm a homer, like, I'm all in, so when people are like, ah, oh, like, I just be like, move! Like, I get very serious about where we live because I love it. But there's something we love about the desert. But overall, as history goes, most people have avoided the desert. Why? Because it's dry, desolate, it's difficult. But when we look at life, the phrase that God gave me and began to show me in Scripture is that there are not only deserts in the world, but there are desert seasons in our life. And that in your life, you're going to go through deserts. And there are times where it is dry, difficult, and desolate. Are you with me? There are times and experiences in your life, whether great or small, whether days or years, whether a season or multiple seasons, that you will be in the desert. That you will be in a place that feels dry, that feels maybe desolate, that feels uncomfortable, that feels difficult. A lot of times we think of this place as punishment because it feels like an in-between time for us. Anyone ever been in the in-between? Right, you, let, I'll explain it. You're in the gap between where God has given you maybe a word or a calling on your life, and you're in this gap between that and the fulfillment. Right, you feel like God, uh, you know, for our college students, God has maybe called you to something, but you're in this gap of like school and debt and working to pay for school. Maybe some of you, uh, you feel like God has given you a vision to be a godly husband or a godly wife, but here you are in your singleness, and so you are in this gap between where God has promised it, where God has spoken it. You're in the potential, but you haven't yet gotten to the promise. Are you with me? And so in life, all the time, we live in these desert places, and often the desert brings discouragement, because it's dry, it's difficult, and it's desolate. And so we, we begin to get discouraged, and we begin to cry out, we begin to wonder. But I, I think when I look at Scripture, that if we could get a better understanding of what the desert teaches us about God, we would do better in the desert. We would, we would see more fruit come out of that time. 
Because the desert teaches us to be led by God. The desert is where we learn. It is, it is where we learn to be led by God. And can I tell you, that's what this is all about, is being led by God, following him, trusting him. And you cannot learn that in the palace. You can only learn that in the desert. You cannot learn that in fullness. You cannot learn that in overflowing. You can only learn that when it's dry, destitute, and desolate, when it's difficult, when it's hard. When it's not like you see, that's where you learn. That's where you grow in God. And so whether you're a, you want to be a great leader or whether you want to be a spouse or whether you want to be an effective boss or a good father or a good mother, I, I want to encourage you that though the desert seems dry, difficult, and desolate, to not skip it, to not wait it out, but to grow in it. And so we're going to pick up with Moses because I think Moses' life so clearly defines the desert season. And so if you brought your Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus 2, verse 11. Last week I talked about uh, the Jewish people being in slavery and how they ended up in slavery. Uh, and then Pharaoh comes along and begins to kill all the young um, men of Israel as babies, and so Moses is placed in a basket. Then that basket is in the reeds, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter goes down to bathe in the Nile, comes, finds the baby, and uh, Moses' mom ends up being able to raise the child, which is an amazing miracle. And at, and at um, the age, probably around 12, Moses is taken in to Pharaoh's house to live there permanently. And so, uh, Moses grows up in the palace, and so where we get Moses is maybe close to 40 years old. He, he, let's just say he's a full-grown adult at this point when we're kind of landing. So we jump from like 4 to almost 40 in this moment. Uh, and, and what's interesting is that Moses, he grows up in this powerful house. And if, if you and I were writing the script, I think that's where I would start with liberating a people, is someone being basically like grandsoned in to the most powerful people on earth. And yet that's not how God does it. What we see all over scripture is that God's way is greater because God's way gives him the glory, right? God didn't want Moses's position and Moses's authority to save his people. He wanted his. And so we pick up in Exodus 2.11. Uh, if you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. If you're ready for the screen, say, I'm there. Perfect. Uh, 2.11, it says this, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Remember, they were slaves. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down, a.k.a. murdered, the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. Seems like a common human theme. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and, and thought, surely the thing is known. Apparently you did not hide him well enough, right? <laughs> like people snitch. That's what, we're, that's what happens, right? Now you kill somebody in front of somebody, they're going to tell somebody, right? Like if that happens to you later, you're probably going to tell, you should tell somebody. Please tell somebody if that happens. <laughs> like, please report murders. Uh, that's important. <laughs> um, so, so here's Moses, and 
You know, what we see in Moses is he has a really clear sense of justice, right? But his motives are selfish. He has the right tools. He just doesn't know how to use them. And if you know anything about tools or power tools, if you don't know how to use them, you're probably going to hurt yourself or someone else, and that's what happens. He has a great sense of justice, but what happens is that Moses has all this power and all uh, this authority, but he lacks perspective, he lacks clarity. And so he sees an injustice, and his response is to look this way and that way and to murder the person. And, and so as we encounter Moses, he's, he's not a bad guy. He just has this power and authority. He's grown up in the palace, but he lacks the clarity. He lacks the perspective. Because, again, it's hard to get perspective in the palace. The desert's where you get perspective. The desert's where you grow. The desert's where you become a warrior. The desert's where you get clarity. It's hard to get it in the palace. And so here's what happens. He, he murders this guy. In verse 15, it says, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up, again, the sense of justice again, but different. Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Raul, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughter, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Basically, he helped you. What's up? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Okay, stop there. The desert, and this is important, and we see it in Moses, and we see it in lives. The desert and the desert season purifies your priorities. When we look at verse 12, it says, he looked this way, and he looked that way, and then he murdered somebody. I mean, there's no way to, like, dance around that, right? And again, the guy was getting beaten. I, I understand this was wrong. It was a sense of injustice. But in this moment, what Moses decides to do is take the liberation to take his calling, to take his purpose upon himself and his own strength and his own wisdom, and he does it in secret. Meaning he looked this way and that way means he committed premeditated murder. So one of the greatest biblical figures is a murderer. Um, people are like, oh, that's not that fun. Um, but, he, but there's this moment where he's looking this way and that way, and he commits this act, this premeditated sense of murder. And so he has the zeal. He has the passion. He has the fire. And apparently he's strong enough to kill somebody with his bare hands. So he's got the might. He's got the strength. But what he doesn't have... What he doesn't possess is the purity of his motives. He doesn't possess the purity of his priorities. But as we see in 2.17, as Moses goes out, he encounters again another unjust situation, and he stands up for somebody. He drives the, flaw, he drives the shepherds away, and he protects these people. So what, what Moses possesses is a great sense of justice. 
But the theme that's going to exist all through Exodus that will eventually culminate with him missing something so incredible because he cannot control this is that he has the tools, he has a desire for justice, but he struggles with the pride to do it himself. This is so important, is that pride will undercut the power of your purpose. Pride in your life, more than maybe anything, will undercut what God has called you. It will undercut the power of the purpose that God has called you to. Moses does not get into the promised land. Why? Pride. Sin separates us from God. Why? Pride. I don't need a Savior. I am my Savior. Are you with me? Do you understand? It's pride that separates us. And, and I think about this all the time as Katie and I pastors. I'm a, I meet people who I consider have incredible potential and who have an incredible purpose on their life. But because they're so prideful, they won't listen to anybody. If you talk to them, they receive it, but they don't change anything about their life, right? Like they have such pride if it's not my idea, if I'm not in control, if I don't do it, that, then I'm not, you know, then, then I'm not going to do it. They have such pride that it undercuts their great purpose. And I could list off names of people who because they were prideful in a desert season in a time where they should have gotten humble and gotten down on their knees and taken the tools of whatever it was creativity or a sense of justice or strength or charisma instead of getting down on our knees with it instead of getting before them we're prideful you know I'm just going to do it myself then if it gets real bad I'll call on you but in the desert time, in the time when we're desolate, in the time where it's dry, in the time where we cannot rely on our own strength, we cannot make it, we cannot make it by ourselves. See, God is teaching us something, and that's you can't do it alone. You need me. You can't do it with your own strength. You can't do it with your own might. It's not about you. It's about me. And so in that desert time, as much as it's like, God, what are you trying to show me? He's saying, listen, before I can move you into your purpose, i got to humble your heart. See, before Moses could lead the people of God, he had to deal with his pride. He had to say, am I doing this for me or for God? Have you ever asked yourself that about your life? My parenting for me or for the Lord? My work in this job for me or for God? Am I using my finances and my life and my focus or the days that I'm spending? Are those for me or are those for him? And here's what happens. Exodus 2, 23. I want to read you this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue and slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. 3.1, it says, but Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, another name for the same guy, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. Everyone say Horeb. Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consuming. God begins to call out of the bush to Moses. So Moses is shepherding flocks. He went from the palace to shepherding. And God calls out to him, why in this moment? Why of all places? Why would God not speak to him in the palace? That's because the desert prepares you for the promise. 
If you're taking notes, write that down. The desert is going to prepare me for the promise. See, Moses was born in a palace. or he I mean, not born. He lived in a palace. He lived with authority. He walked with authority. He was wealthy, right? He had money. He, he could do stuff. He could move things. He could change things. And now he's shepherding sheep in the desert. And when you look at... Um, if you know the Sinai Peninsula, it, it, I mean, it's a desert. Like when I say desert, I mean like go out to the superstitions, burn up half of the plants, and now you have Horeb, right? That is the kind of desert. It is a wilderness, barren place. It's not sand dunes. It's like rock mountains. And so here is Moses where he was in the palace. Now he's in the desert. Have you ever been in a season of life and thought, how on earth did I end up here? Like, what am I doing here? You ever wondered that? Like, you're in a time of life and you're like, okay, I'm pretty sure, like, I've been decently faithful. Like, what is going on? How on earth? How on earth did I end up here? And I think Moses probably wondered that. If you went from a palace to a shepherd, remember that guy was not a shepherd. He went from being an authority to hanging out with sheep. I just petted some sheep at the fair. I can tell you for a fact they smell like poop. And I can't picture what like a thousand of them smell like, right? Just all together, and that's where you live. So he went from the palace to poop, right? <laughs> have you ever made that transition? I have. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything's great, everything's comfortable, to now everything is this. And so in this moment, Moses is, is with the sheep, and, and I want you to get this because it just enlightens us to where Moses is, is he's with the sheep, and he's wandering the hills, and he's walking around Mount Horeb, and he's talking to God. And he's walking around, he's beginning to talk to God, and we know he talks to God because it's the pattern of his life. But I wonder if Moses thought, God, why didn't you use my previous position and my previous authority? God, why am I here? God, why am I walking around? And so he's just walking around the mountain, talking every day. And yet in this moment, as Moses was shepherding the flocks, God was preparing him for the promise. Because what was Moses doing? He was learning the desert. Now hear me, this is so important. Moses grew up in town, right? He's not a country boy. How is a palace guy going to lead almost a million people into the desert if he's never even really spent time in one? How are you going to lead people someplace you have never been? Right, how is Moses? So what is he doing? He's walking around. He's learning how to shepherd. He's learning how to put up with stray sheep. He's learning how to put up with sheep that wander and go far and ghost you on text messages. Like he's learning how to really like bring them in and really guide them. And like I haven't seen you for two months, but you still call us your church. Like, right? He's learning how to like shepherd them in. Like what we're hungry, Moses, right? All of this. He's learning where food is. We're thirsty, Moses. He's learning where water is, right? He's going through because he's about to lead almost a million people out of Egypt and so he's learning what if in your life in your desert season the character and the attitudes you're developing in the mundane is actually preparing you for the miraculous what if what God is trying to teach you and lead you and invite you to be led by is so mundane, right? It's finding water for sheep, but what if it is part of the miraculous, finding water to sustain the people of God? 
What if what you're learning in this quiet, simple, somewhat dry, somewhat desolate, somewhat difficult place is actually preparing you? What if what God wants to teach you in your singleness is preparing you for your future? Single people, listen to me. Uh, What if God wants to teach you how to be led by him in this moment? What if God wants to teach you how to be pure? What if God wants to teach you how to do right with your finances? What if God wants to teach you and lead you and wants you to learn in this desert time, in this gap in between, how to trust him? Because listen, if Moses doesn't learn this, how is he going to lead a flock? And if you don't learn in the desert season, basically here's what happens. If you do not learn in the desert time when, when God's trying to teach you something or lead you something, parents, if you're not learning in this season as you're expecting children, as you're waiting for your future, people who are entrepreneurs, as you're waiting to build your business, young people, as you have dreams and visions for your life, if you're not preparing, if you're not walking through the mundane, how are you going to lead through the greater desert that's to come? How are you going to lead others? All that's going to happen is you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt any sheep dumb enough to follow you. If you're single and you do not learn to be led by God in the desert, you're just dumb enough to to hurt any sheep that's going to follow you. But in this moment, in these times where it's dry and it's desolate and difficult, what we see all throughout Scripture is as people are led by God, as they're in this season, they begin to understand how to be led, how to trust, how to find living water, how to find sustenance, how to find strength, and how to find support. So when the greater desert comes, when the desert of a sick child, when the desert of a difficult financial season, when the desert of of a relationship that's not going how I planned and a vision for my life that's not going how I planned. When I hit that greater desert, I'm already prepared because I know the desert. Are you with me? I've crossed the desert. I've walked with God in the desert. And I want to encourage you to not skip, to not wait out, to not bypass the desert season because more than anything, not only do you not want to miss it for you, you don't want to miss it for somebody else. i got to learn some things right now as I'm walking through the desert of certain situations in my life and difficulty and dryness in my life so that I can pass that knowledge on to my daughter so that she does not die in the desert. Are you with me? And the biggest thing I think when we see Moses is that he's talking to God, that he's speaking with God. Because one of the biggest things that happens in the desert is that it clarifies your calling. Did you know everybody has a call of God on their life? You were called to be led by God, to walk in his purpose, to walk with the promise that comes from him. We believe that. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, so many key people in Scripture have a desert season before they walk in the calling because it clarifies the calling in their life, right? Moses, he's walking in the desert. He's being faithful. He's shepherding. He's learning all these things. So when he goes back and he gets the people of God, he's going to bring them out. He has this clear calling. Listen, we're getting through the desert to the promised land, and someone's walking through. They just grew up in, you know, Ramses. They've never seen, like, a scorpion that's four foot long or, you know, all these crazy spiders and, like, other snakes and things that live in the Middle East. It's bananagrams. And they, and they see that. And he's like, don't even worry, man. I got that. Right? I'm going to step on that. I'm going to deal with that because I face it. I'm prepared. I have this clear calling of where we're going to go, where we follow God. David, one of the like most famous biblical figures. Did you know David? He was not found in a palace. Where was he found? 
in the wilderness, in the desert. They say wilderness. We, we would definitely say desert. 1 Samuel 16, 11, Samuel comes to anoint the new king. And he comes before Jesse, David's father, and he says, bring out all your sons. And so Jesse brings out all the sons that are at home, all the sons that are in the comfortable place, all the sons that are good looking and tall, all the sons that you would expect. And it gets to this moment, Samuel says to Jesse, 1 Samuel 16, are all your sons here? And Jesse says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the what? He's keeping the what? Sheep. God keeps finding people that keep sheep. Maybe y'all need to go buy some sheep. <laughs> he says he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here, which is a bold move because he was probably a ways out. And he sent him and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. David was in the desert when he received his calling. And then guess what he did immediately after this? He went back to the desert for 15 years. Some of you are like, I'm in the desert for two and a half hours. I'm like already frustrated, right? He went back for 15 years. But see, David saw it so differently. I wish I could see the desert like David sees it because he saw it as a place that clarified who he was called to be, the calling that he was waiting on, the tools that were going to use to defeat his enemy, the tools that David used to liberate his people, the tools that Moses used to liberate his people came from a season and a time in the desert. They came from a time of living in the desert. The tools that he used to kill Goliath, he learned in the desert. What giants do you and your family need to face that you need to learn the tools to defeat right now? The desert brought clarity. He said, this is all for God. This is not for me. This is not my glory. See, David knew something very special. I've said it here before, is that the palace might make you a king, but the desert makes you a leader. You've heard more money, more problems. i got to say more palace, more problems. Right? The longer that you are in the palace, your focus gets more unclear. Why? Because more things want to come in. It's what we, we, we function and we struggle so much with in Western society. It's like every little thing steals our attention from the mission of God, from the clarity of God. Something comes in. It's going to steal me away from the mission. Hey, pastor, I can't be there because it's raining. I want to go outside and enjoy the rain. Just like everything steals our, our, our attention and our focus from the mission of God. Because there's just so much. There's so much on our phones. There's so much on our TV. There's so much in our wallets. There's so much we could go get. There's so much excess. There's so much extravagance in the palace. See, you only grow in scarcity. You only grow in necessity. You only grow in discomfort. You don't grow in comfort. You grow fat in comfort. That's how it works. I mean, you grow, but you don't grow. (laughs) Are you with me? But the desert brings clarity. And in fact, when David becomes a spiritually overweight, so to speak, in the palace, he gets kicked out because of the decisions he's made by his son Absalom. And Absalom kicks him out. And guess where David ends up? Guess loudly. Desert. He ends up in the desert. And what happens in the desert? It clarifies his calling. And he begins to write psalms again. And he begins to sing again and go, this is all for the Lord. This is all for him. In my comfort, I got confused, but in the desert, I got clarity. Because all these things are pushing for it. 
Because you can look around the world. Does anyone ever look around the world at the church? You ever, does anyone here follow the church in China? Because it's amazing. The church in China is literally under threat of being killed for going to church every week. And then you flash over to America, and you'd think it would kill somebody to go to church every week. But you look at this church that's under such great oppression, that's under such great suffering, and yet their clarity for the mission is so spot on. And you know what they're seeing as they're in this, what we would consider a desert time of oppression? They're seeing a move of God. They're seeing the miraculous. They're seeing people raised from the dead. They're seeing people's eyesight restored. They're seeing people literally who are lame stand up and begin to walk, right? This is the church. This is the church in a country where 60 years ago they said we've killed God. We have killed religion. We have killed Christianity. We've removed it, right? They follow that great postmodern ideology. But we see that the desert season begins to clarify. What about your calling does God want to clarify right now? In this difficult time, what is God trying to strip away? What is God trying to remove? What is God saying, listen, you don't need this. You don't need, you don't need this. You don't need to rely on this. You don't need the, this to be your crutch. You don't need to lean on this. You don't need to be distracted by this. What you need is the purpose and calling that I've put upon your life to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to spread the gospel, to impact those around you, to care for the hurting and broken. You need to take away all these things. You need to get into the desert, into the dry place so that you learn to be sustained by the living water. I'm going to invite our band up this morning. One of the most famous desert seasons was Jesus. That's all right. Those aren't very expensive. <laughs> One of the famous desert seasons is Jesus. Matthew 3, Jesus receives this, this moment, this powerful moment of his baptism. And then Matthew 4, he immediately goes out to where? Take a guess. One, two, three. The desert. Are you seeing a theme? Right Before he calls a single disciple, where is he found? The desert. 40 days, which is a pretty baller move. He's in the desert for 40 days. And Satan tries to use scripture. He tries to, tries to twist him. He tries to, tries to lead Jesus astray. And yet Jesus responds with such great clarity that comes from scripture because he's in the desert walking with his father, with God. In the desert. In the desert, he's walking with God. And at the end of the time, the enemy comes and begins to tempt him and comes against him. And yet in the desert, rather than being like, God, why did you lead me out here? God, what am I doing? God, I'm so hungry. God, why won't you provide for me? God, why won't you take care of me? God, why don't you do something? Instead, he's walking faithfully with the Father and drawing nearer and deeper intimacy. And so when the enemy comes and begins to come against his calling, he says, no, I have a greater clarity of the calling in my life. Some of you, you need to choose the desert because you need clarity. You don't need to let it choose you. You need to choose it. You need to get out into the dry places. That You need to take those steps out of the comfort and out of the palace because God wants to clarify a greater calling in your life. If Jesus has a desert season, a time of being dry, difficult, and desolate, why are we so surprised by ours? Like, he's God. What we see in Exodus 3 is that Moses is keeping the flock, and he gets this call. And the Lord says in verse 4, it's not up here, so don't worry. Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. 
Moses gets his clear calling because he spends time with God walking around Mount Horeb. And I love this because God tells him, listen, I'm going to bring you back here. Have you heard of Mount Sinai? Right? Same mountains. Same grouping. Same place. God brings him back. You can still go to Horeb and see the split in the rock. Google it later. Where he strikes the rock. But God brings him back. When the people are liberated, they come to Sinai, and Moses ascends the mountain, and he speaks to God, and he receives the commandments. And I wonder if there were people in that moment thinking, man, why does he get to go up and we don't, right? Like, why does Moses get this? Why is Moses seeing this fulfillment? Why is Moses seeing this intimacy and we don't? And it's because Moses, what, what looks like just big leaps to everybody else is just small, faithful steps in the desert. For you and the vision and dreams in your life, what people are going to envy, where they're going to go like, how come they get to see this fulfillment? How come they get to see this dream come true? How come they get to see this? It's just small, faithful steps. The dream and vision that God is awakening at Banner Church is because for 10 years of working and three years for serving, so for 13 years, I took small, and my wife took small, faithful steps, serving wherever the Lord led us for very little money in a dry and desolate and frustrating situation. And yeah, I'm not saying stay in bad places. I'm just saying there's going to be hard times, and what looks like great leaps is actually small steps. And so Moses is not coming to a new place. He's coming back to what he knows, and what he knows is in the desert, I go to God. Because God clarifies where we're going. God clarifies what we're doing. I've already been to the mountain. I've already spent time with God. I've already been led by God. So now that it's really difficult, now that I'm really exhausted, now that I got all these people following me, I'm already prepared. I'm already clarified. And I'm just going to go before it. Do you see how this fights discouragement? Do you see how this fights exhaustion? Because when you're in those desert seasons, rather than being like, this desert is awful, you're like, you know what? I've been here before and led by God, so I'm just going to go back to the Lord. I'm going to receive the joy that comes from Him. I'm going to receive the hope that comes from Him. I'm going to receive the strength that comes from Him. And rather than skipping the desert, I'm going to come out of the desert stronger, more full of joy, more full of hope, more full of passion, more full of mission for my family and my school and my city and my neighborhood I'm gonna come out and so often we're waiting for the palace moment but God seems to always find us in the desert God finds his people who are faithful in the desert in those small steps in those small things in the dry desolate and difficult times God shows up and says be led by me and some of you, you're in that season today where you need to make the choice to just be led by God. Some of you are in that desert season, that gap between the promise and the present. The gap between the promise of your future and what you're believing and how you believe God spoke. Maybe it's something in your life where you believe God spoke to you that you're going to lead your family to know Christ. Maybe God spoke to you that you're going to lead your spouse to know the Lord, but you're in this present reality that doesn't look anything like the promise. 
Maybe you're in that place of, of feeling like God has, has given you this vision, but you're in this present reality of, of health problems and struggles and financial situations, and yet you have this great vision, and you feel like God has called you out, and you want to be a part of what God is doing in the city and the transformation. You want to be excited, but you're just, you're in this desert, this dry, desolate, and difficult place, and if anything, you're just discouraged. But this morning, I feel like God wants me to tell you that in this dry season, that he is there with you. And that if you would just say, not, not God, I need to do something great or amazing or liberate a people or change the world, but just simply, God, I'm just going to be led by you. That's it. I'm just going to go where you call me and do what you say. I just want to be led by you. Can I tell you, God loves to use people that he leads. And God will use you and bring you through the desert. Your finances, your singleness, your struggles, your darkness, God will lead you and lead you out. But the question is, will you be led? Will you say, God, I trust you. I give up control to you. In the dry place, will you drink from the living water of the Lord or will you try to sustain yourself? In the desolate place, will you spend time with God or will you be isolated? In the difficult place, will you trust in God and lean on Him or will you lean on your own understanding and your own strength? I'm just going to ask you a question this morning. When was the last time you took your life, every piece, and you just laid it at the feet of Jesus and you said, today, right here, God, lead me in the desert. It's dry. It's difficult. It's desolate. It's discouraging where I'm at. But I choose today to lay all of this at your feet. Say, God, I trust you. I'm with you. Lead me to the water today, God. Would you stand with me this morning? When you stand, would you just close your eyes so we can focus just in this last moment? I know we got to wrap it up. We're going to end in a time of worship. And I love that. Um, I love that, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. It's about giving control to the Lord. And so this morning, I'm going to pray for you something specific. Every eye closed, every head bowed. And if you're saying this morning, man, I feel like I'm in, I'm in that discouraging, maybe that dry, maybe that difficult or desolate place. And I just need to take my life and just lay before God and say, God, I, I, I need to be led by you. I trust you. God, I need you to sustain me. God, I, I need you to fill me. God, I need you to strengthen me. God, I'm, I'm, I'm in a gap between the present and the promise. And God, I need you in this moment. I need more of you. I, I, I can't do it by myself. I just need to lay it down and say, God, I trust you. God, lead me. Lead me. Lead me, God. Lead me where I need to go. If that's you and you're in that desert place, dry, desolate, difficult, I want to pray for you this morning. Every eye closed, head bowed. If that's you, would you just lift your hands with me just in a receiving posture this morning? Just lift them both up. It's kind of make like a funnel here. But it's just an act of surrender that says, God, I'm just, I'm in this place. And I need to be led by you this morning. I'm going to pray for you. And as I pray, here's what I'm going to invite you to just be in agreement. Is God, would you replace discouragement with joy? In my desert, in my situation, when I'm walking through, God, I know you're victorious, so would you replace discouragement 
with joy. Discouragement in, in, in my relationships, in my family, in my situation, in my current uh, moment, in my current desert. Replace it with the joy of the Lord. Let's pray together and just agree with me and the band's going to lead us. God, I pray this morning for a great exchange in this moment for every person that's in that in-between, between the promise and their present reality that feels like you've spoken to them but is struggling in this time that feels dry, it feels empty, it feels discouraging, it feels difficult, it feels desolate, it feels empty, God. But in this moment, I believe you want to fill every discouraged heart with the joy of the Lord. And so, God, we as your children myself included, we take our lives and we say, God, I lay it at your feet, every piece, every part, I lay it at your feet, God, I give you control, and I say, God, would you lead me, God, would you stir me, God, would you fill me, God, would you strengthen me, God, in this desert season, Lord, in this desert season, God, I pray you would purify my priorities, if there's anything in my heart there's anything in my heart that has overtaken my thoughts, if there's anything in my heart that has overtaken you, that has put myself on the throne, God, just purify my priorities. God, if there's anything right now in my mind or my heart that I have put above you, would you just purify my priorities? God, I pray you would prepare me for the promise. God, I pray that the mundane things I feel like I'm walking through now would be the steps to the greater miracle. God, I pray that, that, that the faithfulness that I'm walking through now, pray with me, agree with me if that's you this morning, that the faithfulness that I'm walking through now would be preparation for a greater miracle that you would open. And God, I pray that this season, that though it feels dry, though that it feels desolate, though that sometimes I fight discouragement, I pray that it would clarify a greater calling on my life, a greater authority that you've given, God, and that you would do something great because of the little walks of faithfulness through the desert. And so, God, we say in this moment, Lord, I give you my heart. Lord God, I give you control this morning. I give it all Lord, to you. Jesus' name.